can truly, surely, woo a sigh of relief that 2022 is in the rear view mirror. There was the untimely death of my father and my gangster sister's health crisis and all of us getting COVID and we didn't die. I am here as a testimony to the survival and thriving. No excuses and no patience for pity parties. I'm gonna be talking about how to glow up as a podcaster or not. Good black news and words of encouragement and shade if you stupid. What I'm reading, the Dallas Cowboys and other things, football and sports, pop culture news, donkeys donking and side eye shenanigans. I like the part of the podcast where I talked about over 40 dating and other relationship issues. Quark's Bar, dedicated to podcasts, reality, TV recaps. Join me as I fuss and have a moment as I kick and stomp my way through the next iteration of my life. Join me for this rocking good time. And thank you for listening. I'm sitting here on my partial redneck weekend on the lake. I'm in my RV recording um, this and subsequent segments. This has been one of those relaxing weekends once you get everything organized. You know, when you're too bougie for words, you just got to roll with it, right? So I get to sit in my PJs today, record my podcast, and just think about all the blessings I am able to enjoy. It's so peaceful here. Um, You can't hear it in the background, but I'm literally on the water and you can actually, it's quiet enough that you can hear the waves crashing or splashing up on the shore. I won't go in there, but I will enjoy it. There's a couple of tiny homes out here. It's kind of dope. I wish I would have had this type of experience when I was in Oregon instead of having PTSD because it rained 200 days while I was only there for 230 days. But I digress. I'm hopeful at the time of the publication of this episode that I will be closer or even surpass 170,000 downloads of my show. I think that speaks to the creativity and the kind of content, the quality of the content that I get to produce every single week. I am dedicated to taking my show to the next level. I'm also dedicated to doing what I need to do to not only preserve the quality of the show, but also making it actually pay for itself. I believe when you produce a quality product and the people hear it, Basically, someone should want to sponsor it and get it so you can continue to put out that quality content. That's why I'm always very, very excited and just grateful for what people are saying about the show. In particular, one of the things I'm still working on is getting um, my own Wi-Fi hotspot that can run all of my devices as well as having when you don't have cell reception. Um, That's the only thing about Hell's Marina back here at the RV park. It's a bit more rustic than I was expecting because I've only seen 
the property in part from the road. You can see the marina when you're on 24, like if you're going to and from Nashville on 24. But I have a feeling this where I am right now is not what I'm seeing from the road. I'm going to have to do some investigation when I pull out tomorrow and go back to Chattanooga and just do a little bit of reconnaissance. I have this really cool RV. Um, It's not like I'm going to let it just sit in my front yard all the time. I plan on seriously enjoying it as much as I possibly can because I'm only as mobile or as open to being on the road when I get the opportunity to be out and about, but like basically on my own terms. Let's see if I can pull this up. There's many other things. People have been very gracious and they, they leave really great reviews. And on iTunes anyways, the people that have left um, all reviews, and these are just some of them. This is from Brian Richards, 517. This podcast puts me out like a light. So good. I don't know if that's boring or not, but it, it was five star. That's like subtle shade. I listen every day. I love your stories and your storytelling. This podcast is a beautiful gift that I really need right now. Thank you, y'all. I like this podcast. I'm so happy I found this podcast. I've listened to so many. This one is amazing. That's Corey O'Brien. Great job. Keep it up. (laughs) Felicia is unapologetically giving us all the info from her own opinion. And I added this to my must listen list. CGH healthy. Such an amazing, informative podcast. Definitely my new favorite. Listen, thank you. These are all pretty dope. Keep leaving them. Keep giving me five stars. And while you're at it, I mean, as I said, if you want to preserve the quality of the podcast and it would be a great service to be if not only if you drop me more five star reviews, but if you actually would go to um, you can become a melanated nerve. You can um, follow the link in the bio as well as my link tree. Click on it. Support me. Subscribe with Patreon. Leave me a tip. I greatly appreciate it. No tip is too small or too large or only limited by the cash app um, minimum, I believe. So, y'all, thank you again for listening support the show, give me the reviews that I require, and it'll just pit me basically, it can increases my, um, in the algorithms as they were. When you search for a society or cultural opinion podcast, mine, when you leave these reviews, it actually ranks me higher. I just want to get noticed. I want to continue to give or to serve quality content. And thank you for the support ongoing and thank you for listening. My glow up is for real. And it also allows me to be able to continue my um, investigation of spots near my home in Chattanooga. Beautiful spots like Hell's Marina. That's a free shout out. Um, I'm not getting paid for that. I wish I were, but it just allowed me to be able to enjoy places like this. This is why people move to Tennessee, enjoying as much as they would like to the great outdoors. It's just wonderful. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading tin full. I can go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow, a reading tin full.
It's in a book, a reading tin frog. A reading tin frog. Tin So why would a sane person read Nene Leake's book, Never Made the Same Mistake Twice, Lessons on Love and Life, Learn the Hard Way? I promised myself I would not read Giselle Bryant's book, but I did, and I was pleasantly surprised. So I tried to read Sheree Whitfield's book, couldn't get into it. But then I started, I looked up, I realized from watching, re-watching Real Housewives of Atlanta that... Nene Leakes was probably the first, one of the first housewife in this franchise to actually have a successful book. We can say she's not only an OG, but she actually made the show. And she didn't feel, even in two, back in 2009 when this book dropped, that she got her just deserves. She always felt misunderstood and, and, and maligned. And you can see as she increased her statue, you know, like um, as she increased her celebrity increase, it seems like it just wasn't enough. The recognition just was never enough for her. She says in one part of her book that uh, how people can basically say she really hasn't changed as her face change and her caps increase or the whitening, she had some work done to her nose. Uh, I'm not, I don't think she had fillers. She's lost and gained weight and her wig game has <laughs> upgraded. She says she always remained truthful, brash, unapologetic, and just real. In a lot of ways, people have always had a problem with that. They didn't know how to take her. Uh, there's one episode where she wanted to be her bring her authentic self to a character that she was playing on Broadway. And they were basically like, nah, keep because she wanted to do a couple of accents for, you know, for emphasis and for comedic effect. And they were like, no, we hired you because of the character of yourself that you portrayed. But we don't want too much of that. Um, the urbanness of that to be bought into this character because she played a wicked stepmother. So her balancing that has, it seems like as you watch her evolution throughout the show, it carried over. I, it seems like it carried over into a real life because this book was basically um, kind of like her own biography she it was ghost written written by someone that she evidently trusts because she laid a lot of things to bear. She's basically says she's empowered, she's completely self-made, and she knows exactly where she wants to go. And you can see that as she evolved, as the show itself evolved. Also, even though she wants the recognition, she doesn't it seems like they basically focus in on the negative parts of her when there were so many other good things about uh, who she was and where she wanted to go that they've basically focused in on salaciousness because that's, I mean, that sells. She goes off paying about kids being kidnapped and murdered and people, houses really being foreclosed on and people stealing billions of dollars. It's like she was basically, I can truly say outside of her front page Ebony magazine, the salacious fodder was not in 
real media. It was on the blogs and the gossip columns. So we didn't see um, them talking about her life in the, it was not front page New York Times. Her what, she was more page six in the blogs, but not real journalistic endeavors, I'm just saying. She also talked about her difficult and strained family dynamics, how it wasn't until the show came up that she found out that the man that Curtis, that she thought was her father, really wasn't. It was some other man. And I don't, I did have not followed the follow up on it, whether the man that she thought was that came out to probably be her father. I don't think they ever got the, con- I don't know if they got the confirmation from the DNA test because I didn't follow it too closely. Also, I'm almost, I think I'm a little almost halfway done with it. And it seems like she goes in on the unauthentic nature of some of her castmates. And a lot of problems that people have with her is because they don't listen. But she does a lot of over-talking. And and it sounds, even though she's very expressive, she doesn't really express her emotional in, in, in a manner that lends itself for people to try to get to the bottom of it and it's not up for up to us to interpret because we're not her free psychiatrist she has to do the work and get to the root of why she feels certain ways and why she her reactions most of the time seem like an overreaction and I don't think she means to play up to the camera but the, the lack of self-control that she has in certain instances where she's under psychological strain and physical strain is quite evident. And that's why she makes for good reality TV, because she just goes completely overboard. But she has to do the work off screen, off camera with a real psychiatrist to get to the meat and potatoes of why she reacts that way. So she won't continue to hurt her castmates and people she considers friends. And at this point in her life, can she either maintain true relationships and deep and rewarding relationships if she doesn't do the work to fix what is broken? That would be, I would think, that would be the challenge to her and actually to all of the reality stars. She wrote a great book which seems like a great uh, beginning, but what work has she done since the book dropped almost two decades ago to fix what was absolutely broken. Now, that's the other thing. If you're too, if you're kind of a narcissist and you don't think anything is wrong with you, but she seems like she's real enough to know that she has some issues. So what has she done in the 20 years since the book dropped to fix those issues as she has identified them? Because she may have identified maybe one or two, but what has she done since, again, since publication? What kind of work has she done to basically tell or for herself to fix what was broken within the NeNe leaks that we met um, all those years ago at the beginning of The Real Housewife of Potomac? Learning to laugh is key to life is a quotable from Joanne Green um, in this upcoming segment of Tenfro was reading, I got to chat with the author of By Accident, and it was just a wild ride of laughter, life lessons, and just 
the world and what do you do when the world tells you to slow down? It probably takes being hit by a car and what we can do not to have to have that type of strong arming from the universe. When it's time to slow down and be present, it shouldn't take being run over by a car to do it. But in this case, for Joanne, this accident not only taught her to how to become dependent on someone else, but how to pivot and control your narrative after her. And I hope you enjoy listening to this portion of the segment as much as I did. And here she is, Joanne Green, the author of By Accident. I have learned, Felicia, in my long years on this planet that a lot of things, but one of the main things I've learned is that you have to be able to laugh at yourself, at life, at the things that happen to you. It's critical. So that's the word, according to Joanne Green, um, a guest author. After some administrative snafus, I have the opportunity to speak with her again. So I hope you're, this is going to be as enjoyable as I have a feeling. It, is, it really is. Hey, Joanne, if you don't mind, could you just give the listening audience just a kind of a brief synopsis of your background and what led you to where you are now um, and also your book, which we're going to get into greater detail in? Okay, I'll give you the short one. Born and raised outside of Boston, was baby of the family, creative. Everybody else was a linear math person. I did not fit in. My parents were in their 40s when they had me. I always felt like I wasn't quite a part. Ended up being a jazz disc jockey. Can't make this up. Moved to San Francisco, worked in black radio, then worked in rock and roll radio for a period of years, did feminist talk shows. Uh, always felt like I had to perform at very high level in order to be good. Mm -hmm. and I had to be in control in order to feel safe. I'm always the person that drives because I trust myself, nobody else. So in 2012, I was walking across the street trying to get home in time for the debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. And suddenly I heard what sounded like an explosion and I was airborne and found myself on the hood of someone's car, which was being catapulted 50 feet down the street with me on it, banging my head against the windshield. And all I could say to the universe was, really? Now this? The previous four years, I had lost my mother, my sister, and my brother. I'd been devastated. I had been in the absolute depths of grief. I had pulled myself out of it. I had gone back to work full time. I was functioning at high capacity. And this accident felled me. I was, I had four pelvic fractures, the whole right side of my body, all the soft tissue was crushed and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get to the bathroom myself. I couldn't feed myself. I was totally dependent on others. I had been a person in constant motion always, and I couldn't do anything. So I think many things. One of them is that the universe sometimes gives us the lessons we need. And when this happened, a couple things came to my mind right away. First of all, it was this shock of what the hell, right? Have I not been through enough? And then the next thing that happened, and it was just inside me, was, all right, let's do this. 
And I bring that up, Felicia, because I think some of us are survivors. Mm -hmm. Some of us come from a long line of survivors. It's deep in our DNA. My grandparents were persecuted, left Europe with nothing, Mm -hmm. came to this country, didn't speak the language, figured it out. The message was always education, education, education. That is your ticket out. And somehow deep inside me, there's this survivor that just said, okay, what's it going to take? And over the next year and a half, and this is the book I've written, it's called By Accident, because by accident is a double meaning. First of all, I learned the big lessons from this accident. And also my entire existence was an accident. My parents were not planning on having a third kid in their 40s. And it was it was a real oops. And I feel very clear about what my purpose is on this earth. I'm 69 years old. I'm starting a new career and I'm having a blast. It's the first time I'm not working for somebody else and having to toe the line. I'm working for myself. I may not make a penny, but I'm having a blast doing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm doing two podcasts and uh, sharing what I've learned with the world because I've learned a ton. You know, I think you bring up so many great points. I personally think a lot of things um, might not quite happen by accident. I, I figure karma in there, and I think everything has a reason. For example, if you are always in perpetual motion, you kind of get this niggle that I really should slow down, but I can't. I got to be booked and busy. I got to keep going, keep going, keep going on this hamster wheel. And then the, the karma... Or the universe says, dude, you need to slow down. And it keeps trying to show you different things to tell you you really need to slow down. Not stop, but you really need to slow down. You need to take to be present. You can't be booked and busy all the time. But it just took a car, pelvic shattering, and a closed head injury to basically tell you, you know what? Hmm. I would prefer, and certain things have happened in my life, not as drastic as a car accident. However, I did fall asleep on I-75 coming back from a meeting when I was in medical school, fell asleep behind the wheel and almost totaled and died in the process with my little Ford Ranger. Walked away, not a scratch. Nationwide paid for the damages. But that's the- Well, your time. Yeah, you need to take your time and you need to get a nap or sleep or don't drive those things. If we were to just listen to our bodies and listen to the universe, we actually would slow down before we have to have something as drastic as that. And I would that was one of the things that I took away from the book before I get hit by a car or before I fall asleep and don't wake up. You know, those types of things. What do I need to do to prepare myself to be in the moment and enjoy every moment? You know what I mean? you know, and take the time to do those things. Um, and you could be reflective and you you should not always dwell in the past. You know what I mean? But you also should basically be able to take the time to look back to see what you could and can do differently now so you don't repeat the, those mistakes. So, and karma is a bitch. It really is. Because when karma get karma will get you when you think you want this is what you want and what you need and and, and karma's like nah son mm-mm, we ain't doing that today. <laughs> I think so karma is a female. I think karma is a black female with bad feet and she's hungry all the time. 
So you think about that. Think about that. So what is going to get on her nerves? And then that's when she pops up. So that's just me. So I'm going to leave that there. That, that will remain with me. <laughs> that will remain with me for a very long time to come, if not forever. I love that image. Love it. So karma is a middle-aged black female Afro. just so you know. I'm just saying, put that visual in your head. Love it. So your book has many different facets. Why should we read your book? I know why I read it, because I knew I was going to interview you. But why would you think, as an author, why should someone read your book? First of all, it's a wild ride. Um, you, you're not going to be able to put it down. This is what people are telling me anyway. Anne Lamott, who's one of my favorite authors, said she couldn't put it down. But really, it's because you, you're you going to pick up a couple gems about how to live a meaningful life. For instance, and I'll, I'll just give you, I'll just toss a few at you. So one is gratitude, 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 gratitude. A lot of these things are the things our mamas told us, right? Mm -hmm. Count your blessings. And we rolled our eyes. So blessings. <laughs> but here's the thing. You can't feel sorry for yourself and feel gratitude at the same time. So when you are down, if you remember that at least in this case, I have a husband who was willing to try to take care right. of me. At least I had a roof over my head. At least I wasn't going hungry. There was food that some people, in fact, I have friends who were cooking and bringing meals to me. And that was something to absolutely stop and say, not everybody has that. I have that. That's awesome. So gratitude is a really big one. The other thing is you can't deny the fact that you're going to feel sorry for yourself. I mean, we are all, every single one of us going to face loss, going to face illness, going to face injury going to face failures. And when that happens, it's reasonable to lick your wounds a little bit to say, poor me. Mm -hmm. But as a, as a good friend of mine said, you can visit the pity pot, but don't be packing your bags and moving in. See, there you go. I dig that. I dig that. So the difference between, if, I think that's key, that we all are going to feel sorry for ourselves but and but you can't stay in that state to be able to experience gratitude. It's like a, a balancing act and everything is a balancing act. And it's not weakness to realize that it took me going through several years of therapy to realize I know I'm going to have a pity party, but I can't stay in that pity party because I still have so many things to be grateful on. And that's because it balance. doesn't serve you. That's really it doesn't why. serve you. The whole Why be in a type of emotional or state that doesn't serve a positive purpose? That is the thing. When you get stuck, things like um, grief, remorse, self-pity, those things make you get stuck. So how can you actually move to, from that? Exactly. And the trick is not to deny yourself the grief. There are no shortcuts through grief. That one, mm -hmm. I, I feel like I got a PhD in that you know, have, having all those losses back to back, you have to experience them. And hidden fact, they they compound each other. So if you have a loss and then two years later, you have another loss, you're grieving both of those losses. It's like double. And you need to move through it. There are no shortcuts. The only way to get past is to move through. So you have to feel and you shouldn't medicate it away. Mm-hmm. 
I'm a big proponent of antidepressants when they are warranted. When they're warranted and needed and taking them consistently. Exactly. But you got to take them in order to know if they work or not and get adjustments. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Uh, They didn't prevent me from feeling pain. They didn't prevent Mm -mm. me from crying and sobbing and and mourning, you know, because we don't just mourn when people die. We mourn all kinds of losses. Right. And I mean, realistic. What is that? You know, and knowing what what is the realistic expectation from? Let me just go a little bit medical on you. I am completely aware many years SSRIs are a wonderful thing, you know, I had to go on them uh, for a spate of time um, when I was in medical school because the stress of being in medical school, I also realized I was diagnosed with PTSD and depression and those things that brought up those things. But it doesn't take away, I, the, I had to be realistic. It doesn't take the way, it just take, took my ability to be able to deal with those things of the past, but it did, still didn't take away from the pain from dealing with it. It ha- helped me to deal with the anxiety, but it didn't take away the anxiety. It didn't help to take away the heartbreak, the dismalcontent. It didn't take away those things, but I was able to calm, be calm enough to be able to find out other get other tools to be able to work through those issues. Sometimes people have to be realistic. Medicines, and when you're medicated, just allow you to do the work to need to be able to deal with things and to go on. And sometimes you have to get on either stronger medicines or change medicines. You have to also take that into consideration too. So having a genuine expectation of what those things are supposed to do is actually very key, but it's not gonna take away the issue that you had to get put on the medicines for, but it'll allow you to deal with those issues. That's one of the things that people have to understand. So I have two things to say to that. One is I always thought of it as a safety net. You won't go below a certain threshold. And if anyone who's listening, who's been depressed knows it can get really bleak and you can be unable to get up off the couch. And I've been there. It sounds like you've been there. I'm sure a lot of people listening have been there. And so what I have found is that this provides a safety net. So you don't go below that point. The other thing is a, a friend of mine is a psychologist and she, she said something once that I, I, I quote over and over again, which is that just because you have a reason to be depressed mm-hmm. doesn't mean you shouldn't treat it. In other words, one time when I was in my fifties and a lot was my sister had stage four cancer. My mom was over 90 and having one problem after another. My kids were two teenage boys, need I say more? And, and, oh, and I was in perimenopause, so I didn't have the resources to draw upon that I used to have. So I went to my doctor for some minor thing and she said, well, I'll give you some cream for that. But the Mm -hmm. real thing is you are depressed. It's obvious. I know you, this is not you. And I said, well, it's because of this and this and this and this and this. And she said, yeah. And you need to be in therapy and you need to be on an antidepressant. And then you will move through those challenges because, you know, a lot of times here's another one she gave me that I thought was a great image. She said a lot of strong women sweep things under the rug for years and years. You get up into midlife and you start tripping over those things that are under your rug. Because it's like that high now and you can't keep over. You're going to trip and break a hip. Why would you? (laughs) You can't speak. 
<laughs> so you need to deal, girl. You need to deal with those things. And that's the bottom line. You got to deal. You have to deal with life and be to be able to be present and to experience life fully. You have to be able to just learn how to deal. And when you can't, it's actually okay to number one, ask for help because that is, I think that is brave and that's a significant of strength, right? Um, mm -hmm. And the help may involve therapy and medications. I wish I had learned that way before now. And because I think my life would have, I would have, it would, I would have been easier. I would have gotten through things a lot faster because, and that mound wouldn't have been so big. But once I figured it out, the mound got smaller and smaller and I stopped tripping, but I'm still kind of a klutz and goofy, but I still trip. So, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> this is where yoga comes in. I'm getting more balanced. <laughs> well, see, that's the other thing. As I said, karma is a middle-aged black woman with the fro. When you get this age in a certain weight, you know, you realize that the injury you took when you played hockey or you played rugby all through um, undergrad. You did? Yes, I did. I was a wing. I, no, I wasn't a wing. For, I was a prop. I was in the scrum. You know, if you ever watch a, oh, uh, a rugby game and the people that clash together, I was on that front line of the clash together. No pads, just a mouthpiece. And there were certain things that, you know, you can bounce back because you're in your 20s, you know, whatever. However, now I have knee issues and things that peaks, just physical therapy are not going to help. So you find out about places like Rejuvenex, where all they do is large joints. You can actually get hyaluronic acid injections, not it's steroid injections or toroidal injections. So you can actually move your knee and not walk with a cane. These are the things, funny things and interesting things you find out when you're older. And I'm only 50, I'll be 52 this year. You're a baby. And you realize that I need a little bit mobility to not only be able to get in and out of my RV, but also to do yoga because you spend a lot of time on downward dog and on your knees and plank and extend. It would be great if you could do that and it wasn't painful because your knee osteoarthritis, inflammation, and those things need to be on fleek control before you can even enjoy yoga because you would be like me and you would be saying nah girl because I'm not going to be able to do that no I'm sun salutations that's all I got for you in a seated position until you go to rejuvenex and you can actually do that say all that to say you know don't let things go control the pain to be in the moment Go to some place to get that so you can actually enjoy the calming effects of yoga. Because if you can't even be in the moment because you're concerned about falling over or you're going to hurt something in your body, that it defeats the whole purpose of the calming effects of yoga. So say all that. And you also get distracted. Because now I don't know what we were talking about when you mentioned yoga. I thought about that. And reason why I usually used to do yoga so much, but then my knee and then I had to get the rejuvenex and now I'm feeling better. Yeah, ADD in adults is real. Just so you know. Oh. <laughs> Am one, married to one, have kids. They are. I think it's a sign of creativity, too. Creative all my are always. All my favorite too. people. <laughs> all my favorite people. Or ADD. You know, this thing about doing sports when you're younger, I'm I'm now convinced that 
while it's great for your mental health and right. physical health and everything else, sometimes you pay a price later. I have a 37-year-old son who's got a ruptured disc, and I am convinced it has something to do with the fact that he was a four-year wrestler in high school. I know it is. I can also tell you what I actually do now, like my day job. Um, yeah, I I can almost guarantee that's what it is. So, um, and I was a lot, if he, did he wrestle just in high school or um, junior high or was he college level wrestler? No, he was just high school all four years. Did a little club wrestling freshman year in college, but mm -hmm. that was it. Because they tell you to grin and bear it and you, it's a, again, you don't want to show weakness when you basically go on and play. So the strain that you put on a young and growing body, I know that's directly a result of what he's going through now and not allowing yourself to heal. You basically ice it or you just keep going or you just limp like I did. And I, it would have been easier if I had before my kneecap was sealed to my bone and I have no cartilage. I should have taken care of this years ago, but I didn't. Interesting. Interesting. So, so here's another one of those life lessons that I want to share with everybody that my mom tried to share with me and I blew her off. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Okay. <laughs> I think it's true. It is. I mean, it can be. You can make it so, right? What doesn't kill you can also almost kill you, and you can be waiting for the next thing. But I think that we can control what we think. We can tell ourselves mm -hmm. these messages of you're not good enough or whatever the negative message. You can stop doing You can learn to stop doing that. And you can learn to give yourself messages that will serve you to go back to that image we had of before. So when the shit hits the fan and it will, when lousy things happen to you, try, if you at all can, to look at them as opportunities. Where's the lesson? How can I grow? How can I make lemonade out of this mm -hmm. bowl of lemons? What can I, how do I, how can I come out of this and be a better person? A lot of people showed up for me and I realized I had structured my life in such a way that I didn't have the time to show up for people the way they were showing up for me. And mm -hmm. so I vowed to make a change in my life and have that be a priority. When people I care about are in need, I'm going to cook a meal. I'm going to offer to walk their dog. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to text them periodically when they're mm -hmm. in chemo and say, how are you doing today? I'm thinking of you. Awesome. Showing up how people showed up for you. Um, it just took a car crashing into you to be able to become reflective and to be able to do that. Also, before I forget, because you know I got AD, actually ADD, not hyperactive at all. I just got ADD child. But anyways. I got the H. Exactly. <laughs> so do, is there an excerpt that you would like to share with the listeners? And then we can discuss that. Sure. So I'll tell you what was happening at this moment. This was a couple months after the accident. I'm very fragile. I'm with a walker, but I, ha I needed a haircut badly. And mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we prioritize the wrong thing. Like I need to go get the haircut. And my husband said, I don't think you're ready. And I said, don't tell me what I'm ready for. So I went for the haircut and the hair person was extremely insensitive. And I was almost in a panic attack and it was a horrible experience. And he, my husband picked me up and 
I scream. I hate her. I'm never coming back. I can't believe how insensitive she is. I'm sorry. What page are we on? We are on page 69. Okay. So he says, you don't have to ever see her again. Let's get you back to bed. Alone in my room, I take a moment to reflect. That's twice now that I've rushed the re-entry process, thinking I was ready for prime time. Now that I think of it, the pattern isn't new. I always do too much too fast, assuming I'm invincible. Then when I'm forced to face the inevitable consequences, I'm either bewildered or quick to blame someone else. Years ago, I hosted a webinar for Hewlett Packard less than two weeks after my appendectomy. The surgeon said it was fine, so I made the trek down to Cupertino and ended up catching a cold. Coughing and sneezing after abdominal surgery is no joke. After illness, surgery, or injury, I must remember to return to life more slowly. Face it. Why am I always rushing? Trying to squeeze more into each day, flitting from obligation to obligation. I've always equated my worth with how much I could get done. Get exercise, volunteer, overachieve at work. Years ago, the list included helping the kids with their homework, listening if they were willing to talk, calling my mother to see if I could pick up any groceries for her, chairing the religious school board, walking the dog. I used to say that I only had two settings, awake and asleep. I didn't feel tiredness coming on. Rather, I blasted like a rocket through each day and then crashed like a cranky child hitting the wall when I was overloaded. Why have I always felt that I'm only as good as my accomplishments? Did no one ever tell me that I'm good simply for being? Whatever the source of the messaging that I had to accomplish and succeed in order to be valued, it's time to rewrite the script. I'm good because I am. I am not because of what I do. I always think I can do more, an eternal optimist, and my can-do attitude propels me to get a lot done. But right now, overdoing it won't help me to heal. And so I say to myself, with a pinch of compassion and a dash of healthy self-awareness, slow down. And that is a key there for overachievers that, again, being booked and busy is a sign of accomplishment and of being accomplished, um, successful, is being busy, busy. But before you get hit by that Mack truck or car, take heed to just that when you expect, say that. Because how can you enjoy all these accomplishments if you're just going from one thing to another? You're getting it done, but you can't enjoy what you just did. And you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to think you're there. You're never. You're going to be so stressed out being not stressed, stressed out. You know, when did you when did we get to the point where we think that if as long as we're in constant motion, this complex and just constant motion is okay and it's good. That's is that because of consumerism? Is that because of capitalism? What where did that come from? Where did that come from? I don't know. Um, Part of it, I think, is how I'm wired. Mm. I feel alive when I'm doing a million things at once. But is there a a way that we have to feel alive without being in constant motion? Absolutely. I couldn't meditate. I could because my brain was always going like this. Right. Uh, Monkey mind. And um, now I I'm able to do it because of that very key word, practice. It's a practice and you have to practice. It's like when we say like uh, work in progress or it's a practice, it's an everyday occurrence and being mindful. This is what being really mindfulness and what that really means. Practice slowing down and being self-aware 
and also knowing that realigning accomplishments and your values um, realistically, that's where that comes into play. Where I am, you when you basically said, I'm good because I am. It's not because you're in constant motion. It's because you just exist. It's revolutionary. It's just so, it's so simple. It's complex because nobody will say, I am, really? <laughs> the world is constantly telling you otherwise. Right, exactly. And it really is. And then it, but they lie. That's when you get to this point and you are there. I think I'm getting there. The world is lying to me because they're telling me some shit that doesn't mean any. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, um, y'all are wrong. And I'm okay because I now I know you're wrong. And I'm it's okay because I exist. I'm good. And I can make a positive difference because I get to read great books like yours. Thank you very much. And I get to do and create things that are outside of what my day job is. But I can, what if I were to leave my day job? I would still be okay because I'm still here. You know what I mean? So. Right. When I stopped being on the radio, I was, my career was on the radio. And I, I, I remember when I first resigned from a job because the hours were insane. I was anchoring the morning news. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I had kids. I felt like I was just not in any one place long enough to do anything. I thought, oh my God, do I exist if I'm not on the air? If people can't turn on the radio and hear my voice, do I still exist? And um, so that was a learning. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely exist, right? It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and how you live your life and how you treat yourself and how you treat other people. That's what matters more. Exactly, exactly. And so in conclusion, because I could continue to talk about you, all of this, but I honestly think in all honesty, I feel a second part coming up where we have a little bit more to discuss. The When you are planning your act, for example, when you're planning your act to what are some other action items, what should you do? And uh, the awareness of possible failure, but you keep going. And even if you do fail, how do you still pivot? I think for we have another, a whole other part two coming up, if that's okay with you music to my ears and for this part being the self-awareness and the existence what other action items should the reader or the listeners and your readers basically should take away from this part of the discussion from this part of the discussion shit's gonna happen it's how you respond to it that matters you can't control what happens in your life right people are gonna die you're gonna get fired from a job divorce happens all these things injury, illness, happen. What is in your control is how you respond. Mm -hmm. You can go into a corner and quit life and stop trying, or you can figure out all the things that are going to help you get past that juncture. And maybe that's, you know, in my case, I went into this special kind of therapy that was focused on trauma Mm -hmm. because I had to be able to cross the street as a pedestrian. And if I hadn't done this, I'm not sure I would have been able to. So what are the tools? You know, physical therapy. It hurts. I get it. Do it. Don't blow it off. There are just certain things like that. So those are some tips there. 
you know, we started off talking about laughter, Felicia, and I think that um, it is absolutely key. Surround yourself with people that make you laugh. Play the music loud. Dance. Whatever it is that makes you feel truly alive. Do that. Exactly. And for the people that want to actually be into contact with you, actually, can you give the um, listeners the name of your podcast and where you are on social media, where you would like to be contacted? Right. I have a website that's Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E hyphen green. That's green with an E on the end, G-R-E-E-N-E.com. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can get links to all my stuff. I have two podcasts. One is only three minutes long for the short attention span people. And also because who has time? And they are my essays, my short essays, but they're set to music and customized music. So they're a lot of fun. They're all over the place. And um, what are the names of them again? That is called In This Story with Joanne Green. Okay. So In This Story is the short one. And then I do a podcast with another woman who's 30 years younger than me because we are in two different generations. She's a writer also. And that one's called All the F Words. (laughs) And every episode, we take a different F word and we get into it. And who knew that F is a really awesome letter in the alphabet? There are amazing things that start with the letter F ranging What's from Felicia. Hello. You might have to be a guest on the show. We might have to do a whole episode on you. I'm loving that idea. What do you think? I'm digging it too. Send me your calendar. I'm, I'm with it. It would be doing hysterical. It. It would be hysterical. And you'll love Gabby. She's great, too. And um, so we do topics, everything from friendship and family to first time to um, fundamentalism and fanaticism to freckles. I mean, it's all over the map. We just did one on fake meat. (laughs) Right. Impossible meat, Beyond Burgers, all that. Yeah, it's just all over the place. But I think an episode on you is a really good way to go. Felicia, everything that starts with F that means that opposite of my name, because Felicity, I had, you know, Felicity and happiness, et cetera, had to grow into that because I was not happy until, you know, until like maybe the last five or six years. It took me a minute to basically live up to my meaning the, of okay. my name. That'll be the that'll be the topic of our conversation with you. Exactly. But thank you again, Joanne. You're this has been absolutely wonderful. I have a friend on the West Coast. We The next time we speak, we'll talk about my aversion to the West Coast. I have PTSD from my time in Coos Bay, Oregon. That's a whole different topic of discussion. We're nowhere near there. I'm in Northern California. Our arms I are- I know, up. passed by there, but Coos Bay and never got, con- you know, the Pacific Standard Time, but got PTSD. My eyes jumping right now. I just can't. I just, it's a trip, girl. It is a trip. But this conversation, I am so looking forward to subsequent conversations. This is the beginning of a great relationship. And I'm so grateful we actually have the time to contact. When it's not so hard to be positive, it appears that a storm is possibly rolling in. Um, So I'm going to make this probably not so brief. It's just going to make it easier for me to get it together and um, 
basically get back to my reality. But I like to be encouraging and starting out my show with celebrating black excellence is a great thing. Um, I'm going to recognize one individual, Marty Mar Lawrence, in his joining other greats finally on the Hollywood stars. He actually, uh, the Walk of Fame, he actually now has a star out there with Whoopi Goldberg and other great comedians. He was joined by Lynn Whitfield, um, as well as Steve Harvey just to name a few. Um, Not only do you have to have the money to be able to buy the star on the Walk of Fame, but you also have to have a bit of credibility. He's been in this game for over 30 years, making great movies and making us laugh. Uh, From the Martin Lawrence show um, to Deaf Comedy Jam and just being all around great in other big films that he's actually um, starred in, in particular with Will Smith and Bad Boy F- 4. Um, I'll, if I can find it, I'm going to look for the trailer on YouTube when they make the announcement online. Um, he's had his very uh, public mental health struggles, but he still remains one of the funniest men in Hollywood. And speaking of that, there's been no updates on Jamie Foxx's health. He's still um, actually still in the hospital in Georgia. I'm still praying for him and hoping for the best and his speedy recovery. And when they're the family and he's ready, because I believe he, when he had his health crisis, he was on set, we'll know. And that's just how it goes. And then um, further black excellence, and I'm going to expand upon talking about this in my bonus episode, The Full Circle Brewery Brewing, which is a Fresno-based company um, that's been around since um, 2000. They've merged and has become one of the largest Black-owned breweries in the United States. Big ups to them. I'm hopeful I could get them to ship me some of their ales or lagers from the Speakeasy, as well as their uh, Full Circle Beer more to come on that, hopefully by the bonus episode and Tim Fro was drinking. So stay tuned for that. I like being positive. I've gotten so many comments on how encouraging and the positivity that my podcast conveys. Um, I don't like to focus on negativity. I think other podcasts or other shows do that. Some do it well. That's how they get their clicks. More power to them. I wanted to, in some way, be able to be stand out from the crowd, have my own product, but not focus in on too much negativity. This side eye I give and donkeys, me naming donkeys, is all a part of that. And there just seem to be group groups of people, Republicans in particular, and just people from Florida in general that just keep contributing to my side eye sidebars and donkeys because what they do and what how they do it is why I created this segment. And in this episode, I hate adding pe- black people or people of color to this segment, 
But sometimes I gotta call a donkey a donkey. If you got if it brays, it's a fucking donkey. Just saying. First of all, Tucker Carlson has been on this list for a minute just for being and leaning in to his awful on air personality with his racist, bigoted, misogynistic statement. And he made millions of dollars for Murdoch. He made millions of dollars for Fox. He changed the ethics and it went from Fox News to more like a gossip and racist rant session. He basically perpetuated a lie for the ratings. He knew what he was saying was garbage, but he said it anyways. He thought his ratings, his, you know, salary, all of that would have protected him from being terminated. But all of this, when I went on hiatus, all of this had happened in the previous week. The story continued, has continued to really hadn't really evolved because they basically, oh, Rupert Murdoch and them were like, as of last Friday, this is Monday now. That was his last show. Gave him the peace sign. He thought his popularity and his statue within Fox News would have shielded him from all the complaints that are still coming out. Because I think there will be more unless they um, decide to break their NDAs. And at his firing, he's not exempt. His popularity did not shield him from getting um, kicked out of being kicked out as Fox News cash cow. Sorry, y'all. He out. And that basically should be there seems to be. But he I think he's just like the whole banking industry shake up that we're seeing now. I don't think that's the end of it, y'all. I think that he's going to all of these big online personalities over there. They're getting ready to do a major shakeup of that whole newsroom. Um, I don't think his firing is the first because I think there's going to be other many. A lot of people are going to get frog walked up out of there. We're going to start seeing even more complaints going um, coming to light as they go through um, an unsuppression and they're going to let it all hang out. For all we know, he's preparing it to be sold at this auction block. And they they can't get it sold with these types of shenanigans happening. I don't know. I see it coming. Then our problematic African-American member of the LGBTQI plus community, Don Lemon. Oh, Donnie. Why did he think they were not gunning for him even at a a whopping seven million dollars a year he was making from um, CNN? His payoff is going to be even like quadruple that he could sit on the side, do absolutely nothing and still get paid a crazy grip. They were trying to get him up out of there for cause, but maybe he was just riding out the contract because he knew the payoff was going to be big and he was not going to, he would still get paid and not have to show up for work. They were trying to finesse it. And I think they, and I keep saying they, and I keep saying whatever, because I think 
what his last days at CNN were fodder for. They were trying to get to be able to fire him for cause so they would not have to pay out that contract um, unless he did not have that type of stipulation in there. And it just I think it was just coincidental um, him being fired after he his interview with a Republican Indian American. I can't remember. What's his name? Yeti Ramond. Don't know what the hell he talking about. Whatever his dumbass name is, he is just he was just talking stupid. Don and came at Don left. Then Don came at him being the grouch that he is because he's really not made for daytime TV. However, I firmly believe if he and his homeboy, Chris, were allowed to do that interview, um, they would have sliced and diced them and sent him back to whatever conservative enclave that this dumbass came from. I was with it because he was basically trying to either dust racism or explain racism to an African-American gay man. And his thing was, I should be able to say this crazy shit because I'm brown, but I'm really, but I'm not black. Um, but I'm going to basically white splain racism to you. I was just like, you know what? This, the issue with that was, I, I think I would have came at him for saying that dumb stuff too. I just, I, I, I just don't get, and I take offense just like my friend um, Janelle and I do at other races of people or non-black people trying to explain to us how we should feel about tokenism, racism, bigotry, uh, homophobia. That's basically me trying to explain to an Asian woman or Asian man how they should feel about when people are attacking them or how a Jewish person should feel about the Holocaust. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Asian. I have no right. And I, I don't think anybody has a right to tell someone else how they should and shouldn't feel about racism and how and try to steer the narrative about racism or about race relations um, and tell you how your view should be. That is the most cockamamie, just stupid, just really out and out stupid way to have a conversation because it just proves how foolish the other person trying to get that type of point across. And Don Lemon bit went off, definitely Poppy, whoever the co-host of the interview was not going to get in because you got two bulls clashing and it was just so dumb. The whole interaction was dumb, but it was, I don't think that was the last straw for CNN. Because some of his previous interactions when he was on not even night show, like the whole Trump years, the way they allow him to go in on Trump and every and and just the stupidity of it all. I think there was a lot going on in the background that we didn't see. And they were just they wanted him to bend, to change, to make it work because they paid him a grip. I don't think that was happening. And he was like, nan, nanny, boo, boo. I dare you to terminate me. I dare you to terminate me. Because then they would also know instantly a wrongful termination suit could have 
prevail that could cost them even more millions in addition to the millions that they were still going to have to pay him out for his severance package. But that last that wasn't the last straw because somebody needed to go tell that Republican to go sit down somewhere. He did it and did it quite effectively. And he did it. And yes, Don Lemon was stank about it, but he needed to be told to kick rocks. He told him to kick rocks. He wasn't nice about it. But when somebody is that obtuse and that dumb, sometimes they are not going to understand you being nice. There was no way, a nice way to tell him to go have many seats. I think he did it. He did it effectively. And he did it the only way that Don Lemon, cranky Don Lemon would have done it. But that wasn't the last straw. The last straw was and the shot that he took um, at the uh, other Indian American Nikki Hale, I forgot that for being past her prime as a woman. Yeah, he was tripping with that. But I think a lot of things were going on in the back. Again, he thought his popularity, um, his ratings were going to save him from being fired. But they also forgot that they it seems like their personalities became bigger than the corporation that they work for. Um, his was bigger than CNN, just like Tucker Ducks was bigger than Fox. But their outsized egos did not protect them from still having to get the ham sandwich up out of the main offices for their respective networks. And he should have known that he should have did some time during his reevaluation, attempted to make amends and also to do the work, put the ego aside and still go for positivity. I'm going to miss him. He was the last of the greats at that network to leave or to be shown the door. I hope they, with this new thing with Gail and um, Charles Barkley, maybe we they got something there. But I don't think it would be the same as the Chris Cuomo's and the Don Lemons of the world. If they could have done something else to do the work on the back end and not getting caught up in all of this donkiness. It would have been just a great scene and a great continuality of that network into the next century. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. I'm still at the lake enjoying the peace and the tranquility only interrupted by having to watch and get the content or comment on content. It's a bit blustering. The biggest thing I had to basically do is it's a really beautiful, clear day. The sun is out, but we get these wind gusts coming off the water, rocking my RV and scaring my dog. And it's it just seems like it keeps threatening to tear up my um, awning. I've had that happen before in a storm while I was in um, Oregon, but got that cleared up. I have mechanical or motorized awning retraction, so I was able to put it down quick work. I'm hopeful that I'll be able to sit outside um, and enjoy this beautiful day, but in the meantime, I still got work to do. I just basically, um, I haven't done this for a while. I started commenting on relationships using a feed on Reddit, uh, over 40 and dating. 
thread, but I haven't read it for a minute. What I did do for this week is I watch or listen to several podcasts. And one of the podcasts was commenting on one of the reunion shows from Love is Blind. Um, Carlos King, Matt, shout out to him. And I remember watching this show at its inception. It's a show that actually comes on um, and it's in its fourth season. I watched it when it was in its very first season on Netflix. The premise of the show is that you can fall in love with someone without actually seeing them. I believe each contestant or person, they basically give a general description or who they like, you know, what their type is phenotypically what you see. But the whole premise of the show is they put these people in a pod for a certain period of time, allow them to basically talk and interact, but they can't actually see each other. The whole goal is to get to um, a proposal and then to get married. There are several couples that start out and then but there some people do get to the altar and they actually say no. Um, that that's a, a, a option where you basically that's one of the, the question mark. You can still have this connection. And once you there's a big reveal, I guess, and then you see meet the person and then you build this life together, they get married. And by the time the reunion, this is the first time I know they had a reunion. It's like a year later. And the reunion is more for clarification to get answers to things that happened during the year. People get to apologize, to clarify, etc. And so the biggest thing about this particular reunion is they were trying to do it live. Evidently, according to the super producer, Carlos King, no one ain't trying to do a reunion live. Well, this is crazy because it seems like it was taped live. May have, they attempted to tape it live, but they still a, a production because one of the couples didn't even show up. The couple, Jackie and Josh, this show is the romantic version, crazy version of love and hip hop and uh, Atlanta and Real Housewives of Atlanta, Potomac, but it's all on the West Coast. This year they were in Seattle and there are certain relationships that definitely don't make it. And there are people like this Irina chick that basically she basically came on the show for clout. She just came on it, according to Josh, just to get Zach, just to get famous. And that's the other thing. So a lot of the couples, not only was there weird and dramatic interactions uh, between um, the hetero couples, but there was also triangles and evilness with the bone collectors and shit stirrers that the people that weren't that weren't coupled up or they did not make it to the altar. They knew it because they picked someone um, and then they basically knew that they were never going to get to the couple. And I think that's the deal with this Irina chick. She appeared to take some accountability for her disgusting behavior. But the bottom line is nobody believed her and in continuing Zach. And Zach is one of the guys from this particular experiment that he and married another woman, Bliss. They are happily ever after. Um, even though it looks like her father couldn't stand him initially. 
but they're so goofy in love. It's actually very funny. Then there is Micah and Kwame, which I find interesting. Micah is the female. They initially had a uh, connection, but it didn't work out. And Kwame evidently moved on to somebody else who eventually married. But this is before a relationship ending revelation where he said he may have still had feelings for this Micah chick, but it really didn't matter because he did it. He verbalized what he was feeling in the moment for closure. And then there was another guy, Brett Brown, who does not look like a Brett, but he was cute. His wife, his uh, now wife, they seem to be happy together and he has a pretty impressive sneaker collection. But one of the things that makes this show that people were talking about is Vanessa Lachey, who is one of the co-hosts with her husband, Nick Lachey. They were just, their interaction, I don't think it was contrived. I just think it was just weird because everybody know Nick Lachey. He was uh, married at one point to Jessica Simpson and there was a whole, their breakup was kind of horrible, but they thought that he may have married her for clout. Um, definitely the aftermath and his, all of his success is we only know him because of his, who he was previously married to. I'm hoping he's happy now with Vanessa. They seem to be because they now for, she admitted on the reunion that they've been married for 17 years. I found the best moments was when he was being particularly shady and I think he was being nice not to front on his wife, but because he wanted probably wanted to keep the peace. But if they had allowed him to be even more shady, that would have been what people that used to reality TV and these reunion shows, what we're used to. Thank you, Andy Cohen. And thank you, um, Carlos King, for that matter. But I think the whole premise of the show is a bit intriguing because developing a connection with someone that you only speak to, but you haven't physically seen yet, and you have can't be catfish off a picture that's really not them. You basically get a general description of who they are, but your connection is basically made on a deeper level because you get to have pretty deep conversations, you know, that you probably necess- wouldn't necessarily be allowed to have if you were just out there and just dating on the real. So that part is intriguing. It's still kind of false because the whole relationship is basically sped up. And basically you're in this pod, an environment where you don't have external factors of your job, your family, and to a certain extent, social media until you basically meet the person. And then you have to basically how you navigate all of that once the outside world is actually let into your social bubble. But still, it's intriguing because it gives you several points when you don't have the forces of those um, outside influences pulling at you from one extent to another. Um, you do get to to attempt to develop a deeper connection with someone without the influ- outside influences. Uh, but at the same time, how do you basically continue to block out those outside influences once the bubble is open? Does that, and I think hopefully that makes sense. So that in itself is a bit intriguing. 
I also am glad I did not waste my time in watching um, the entire season in its entirety because I'm glad I just got the cliff notes. I understand what made what made a very difficult season, how Marshall, how Jackie treated Marshall and continuing the social media battle when there's nothing there because she's with somebody else now. She's with this Josh character. He's seeming Marshall seeming to move on. And he basically uh, came to a conclusion. Basically, he said, leave my name out of your mouth. We both have moved on. You're in a whole different relationship. I'm not with you. I got my ring, which I'm hopefully he took back because he basically said this was a token of his esteem and his love for her. They ain't together. He got the ring back. Either he I'm hope he made it into another piece of jewelry or he took it back. But either way is not what she said it was. He was going to give it to somebody else. He basically clarified he only went out on one date with someone that actually was really nice to him. But, but that was nothing more. And it probably they probably still follow each other on social media, but it's pretty platonic. And he's doing the work to basically heal himself from what he thought was going to be a possibility of a relationship. He's still ticked off that he never did not. He never got the option to get all the to see the experiment through and to make his decision based on his interaction with this person. All of that was taken away from him and he feels jipped. And it's going to take him a while to get through it. And that if that's what he needs to do, then that's what he needs to do. But he's not going to be able to. And he doesn't doesn't want doesn't seem like he wants to be able to get to that good, better place. If he's still having this imaginary battle with someone he's no longer with. And he and obviously he is not only that he's not with this girl, he is no also does not have any interest to get back with her. And I think that is what ticks her off. She's still trying to uh, control her own storyline and to continue relevance, even though she did not see the experiment through. That was the whole point. You had one job. You had to show up, be present, give it a go. But she didn't. So they broke up. He gave the ring back. Now he's with somebody else on the show. They evidently are living together in Seattle. We'll have a happy. But also you are probably not going to be asked back because you didn't even bother to show up to the reunion. And because it's not all about you, where the hell were you? You're a part of the cast. You needed to come. And I think the reason why they didn't come because it's easier to be a coward and hide behind your keyboard and your screen on social media than it actually is to show up to the reunion and have to answer the hard questions live, because that's also a part of your job description. She didn't want to do it. She took the punk ass uh, way out and her Jackie and Josh basically stayed at the house, which is fine. We don't necessarily need to hear from them again because the relationship that she did not build on, we only heard her half of it did not. And she never answered for the bullshit that she basically seemed like she put the audience through that was invested in it. Since I wasn't all that invested in and I came in, I'm a Johnny come lately and I only watched the reunion. So be it. But that's my two cents on that reunion. I don't it wasn't live. Their attempt of doing a live, it evidently was crazy, but I'm glad I got the synopsis to a show that I'll probably wait until next. I think 
it's been, I don't know if this particular iteration has been renewed for a fifth season, but I think they had a trailer at the end about the gay version of this dropping. That should be interesting. And I'm only going to need to watch the reunion to know that that's going to be full of tomfoolery and shenanigans. So I'm just saying, because the way the characters that they highlight seem to already be on 10, and this is just a trailer. So I'm interested in them um, drilling down on the mess and uh, the producers taking a different uh, tact as far as the questions and getting to the bottom and clarification on the juice of the previous season. I'm also along the relationship of the traditional Indian matchmaker. A lot of these people highlight are highlighted. I'm just interested in how the technical nest of the soirees and how intricate the design on these saris are. Some of these people are like one of the females and looks like she's a model. I don't know if she was Miss India uh, Universe, um, husband in waiting, but this dude is goofy. They're previous to this. If you notice, if you heard in the background, um, besides the me listening to the guy, the groundskeeper cut the grass, there is... Uh, one of the contestants, Rushali, uh, she seems to be a beautiful um, Indian woman. And there's the wind knocking over my dog's food. I'm going to have to get that in a minute. But she also is alone. I don't remember, recall or hearing overhearing them say that she was married because there was one of the contestants that she got married young. She was like 18 and she said she married for love. This woman seems to be a model and she still is going to a matchmaker. And I think this in itself is one of those things that is kind of, again, it's intriguing that a once taboo up for discussion, but now the high rate of divorce in um, untraditional or not match made marriages are having more modern Indian and younger Indians looking for this more traditional method of getting a match. This is only made for people that really think their end all be all, I guess, is very societal and very culturally the need for being married. Unlike people like me, I've never been proposed to. I can't see myself being married. So I'm very intrigued with people that are willing to say I do and to do go through all of this to actually be in a relationship. I have no desire. I hardly have a desire to be in a relationship, a platonic relationship with another female or male. So doing all this work and all this hassle to be in a long term relationship, I just can't see it. And also bringing somebody else into your business. I can't see that either. You have to become and share the intimate details of what you want and who you want to do and be with, with almost a complete stranger. And then they get to make the decision and be objective to bring you someone that you could possibly spin the vows 
and spend the rest of your life with. That seems to be a lot. So again, I'm intrigued by all the pageantry, the beautifulness of the, the, the intricacy of the design of these saris. But this whole matchmaking thing is a bit TMI for me. And I, I'm just saying, y'all. But I'm still um, intrigued by Homegirl. And is she Rushali? Because she seems like she's very um, superficial and egotistical. I don't know if some people, maybe it's just some people that just not meant to be with somebody else because she would seem to be really high maintenance. And that's why her ass is by herself. Dance Evolution of Star Trek. I wanted to just insert this as a reminder that the bonus episodes will drop either Thursday or Friday. I talk about everything space from NASA, uh, great tech, what I'm eating and drinking as well as everything from the Star Trek universe. Also, I have my favorite part, Tin Fro's bar uh, shop talk, where I talk about uh, upcoming draft, uh, everything Dallas Cowboys, you name it, about sports and sports adjacent, I talk about. Don't forget to navigate to my premium channel 10 froze bar before it goes behind the paywall become a patron on patreon subscribe drop a sister a tip and you too will have full access to all of the episodes as they become available and thank you for joining or listening The Shady Bunch, the Shady Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. So what I do during the day in between cases, uh, right before I start, you know, recording for my podcast, I watch a lot of reality TV. In a previous segment, um, I talk a lot about uh, relationships or I talked about relationships as it pertained to uh, Love is Blind as well as the Indian matchmaker. But I'm really pretty much obsessed with the Real Housewife um, series as well as this Muppet on 90 Day Fiance. And the reason why I call it the when you get real with reality TV, there's not a whole bunch that's actually happening um, that I wanted to comment on. They wrapped the previous season season seven of Real Housewife of Potomac which was very disappointing they did not need four episodes and then you have to get behind the paywall of reasonably shady to get the real tea that they should have put on the show um I did watch the last episode of the escape and SWV limited series 
Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing that again. I've, ma- I've been able to make some comparisons between the escape uh, documentary from a number of years ago to what's actually going on, the intrigue and subterfuge and the robbery and tomfoolery of this episode. But I'm very, I'm kind of a stand for Candy Burris. The reality was she was worldwide before even uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta popped off. But when she was added, she her glow up was already for real and she just got even bigger with the, again, the reunion of Escape, her writing music for Kim Zosiak, and then the OLG and, it's not Ace, what's the little girl's name? Blaze Restaurant, which I'm still so, I think their fried um, lobster tail was the bomb. If I were to get up my nerve to go back to Atlanta, I would have to, if OLG is actually still open, I'm going to have to uh, peep it out and then talk about it. But what I really have been kind of going back and forth on is why Monique Samuels had to get kicked off the show, you know, because Real Housewife of Potomac is not exempt from the assault and battery that we've seen on the other shows, as well as is no more than Atlanta. The fights and stuff that they had were just as ratchet. And I don't think any it was any more ratchet than when Portia dragged Kenya at the reunion. And at one time, somebody pushed Andy. Was that Portia too? Portia Williams, now Gabaldi, Gabadian, had a reputation of getting in your face and popping off, former beauty queen or not. She didn't get put off the show. She didn't get fired. It wasn't until that lie that Phaedra, her and Quad are friends and both look an awful lot alike. I don't know if they have the same plastic surgeon or if they're just two shady hoes, but she's now on Married to Medicine, another Bravo um, show. And she's on um, that. She was on the girls trip show at one point, I believe, uh, former housewives. So it's not like she's been banned because of the lies she told about Candy. I believe this was like season eight or nine. This would. um, And I do honestly believe what I'm talking about is Candy Burris and Phaedra Parks had a falling out. A lot of it probably had to do with Phaedra blaming Candy possibly for the demise of her marriage, which Candy didn't have any really anything to do with because Phaedra married an ex-con. And then he went back to his old ways. This is um, Apollo Nida for fraud and got put in jail. Her, meaning Candace and um, Todd, remained friends and actually close to Apollo during that whole ordeal. And it was slanderous in so many ways. And if it had affected Candy's pocket, if it had gone anywhere beyond because it was so obvious that they did make a big deal of it. And she used Portia Williams, her stupid self, to basically co-sign such an egregious lie just to get back to Candy. Number one, for not supporting um, Phaedra, even though she basically lied and because they did not give up their relationship with her now ex-husband. 
and she really didn't need to kiss her because she doesn't need to. She can't embarrass. She flirt worldwide. So there was jealousy, subterfuge that led to a big whopper of a lie that could have been career and um, her brand ending. And it didn't seem that Phaedra Phaedra was willing to backpedal and throw those stones and then hide her hands at the expense of the trust and friendship of Portia Williams and the demise of Candy Burris's brand, because that's just kind of the evil and vindictive person that she is. And how would you do that on somebody that y'all were really tight with? And you could, she could have told all of her secrets because she could have did so much to damage uh, Phaedra's rep, but, and she only revealed like one small thing, but this lie was bigger than that. It cut deeper and it was just malicious. But the difference between that and what happened on Potomac was every time Portia dragged someone, she admitted how embarrassed she was and she was immediately remorseful. And then it looks like she was able to stay into therapy and to get the help that she needed. No such grace uh, was offered to Monique Samuels. She basically wilded out and then didn't come back on the show because it didn't appear that she got the deep psychological her work to be able for her to put the pieces together to come back on that show. She basically threw up the deuces, only spent one season on Love and Marriage DC before she basically said quits completely to reality TV. And if you look at that fight, it was completely absurd. Just like all the fights of, were uh, for Portia. It was over something stupid. It was because it had nothing to do with that person that she struck out with Candace at that time. It had all to do with the stress that she was actually having in her own marriage. It was in the fact that she was still doing so much, having these kids, probably dealing with postpartum depression, was stressed out. And she was not getting the therapy, the intense therapy that she did not didn't seem that she'd got until towards the end of the show. It was unfortunately she didn't have the psychological tools or the web that she did not want for that was not all she wanted to be known for. And she couldn't reconcile that take responsibility and then just keep it pushing. She basically gave it all up because she thought like, this is not what I really wanted. I don't think Chris Samuel was in any, in any means of going broke. So it wasn't like she needed to stay on the show like Robin and she had her not for lazy mom spinoff, but I don't know whatever happened to that. It's just that she basically wanted to go back and regroup and be the person that she wanted to be in her head and not what was actually portrayed um, and that the network bought. She wanted to be her own person at her own, on her own terms. She did not want it on the Bravo terms. So she's like deuces. And the only thing that I could just pull out about the hypocrisy, the whole respectability, why Wendy turned her back on um, Monique, and then she gets smacked in the head with a purse by the next season man, how Robin telling uh, Mike to keep his dick in his pants, and Juan cheated on her even before they got married again. And she making these same comments when she went back for that one year 
uh, to her hoe of ex-husband, Jamal Bryant. But they basically paid up to the hypocrisy. We relived the hypocrisy with that negative storyline involving uh, Chris Bassett and his roaming eye and over-friendly attitude and the smiling Eddie. All of these things, it's like all these women, if because they're not in a good place, they will seek and destroy. Either they seek and destroy and try to highlight the drama of other people or they do whatever they can um, to hide the reality of their relationship but will only talk about it behind a paywall on Patreon, keeping it kind of secret but still profiting from it. I just can't. I, the double standard and hypocrisy of that was highlighted and it, it just expanded upon on Potomac was one of the reasons I don't think I'm going to be able to watch this upcoming season if they don't make some significant changes. So that's why I'm interested in watching this YouTube clip from DJ Sky. But evidently there is beef between um, the Nigerian, the newest Nigerian um, American castmate and Wendy Acefo. It goes back to the hypocrisy of it all because this same woman was so much against the scrapping and how it looked as far as respectability. And she uses her words um, and then she gets smacked in the head and what they use to basically run off Monique when they should have embraced her and allowed her to get the help that she need because she was a positive influence on the cast. It's basically like the Real Housewives of Potomac became less real when she left and I don't think it has gotten that spark back since because all of the other storylines with the exception of watching Canyon's um Dillard Bassett glow up everything after that not so much and it wasn't as compelling or even as interesting as watching her that was fascinating to me in all respects the evolution of Canyons and becoming with her MBA and then her when she dropped her album. This other nonsense, um, the delusions of Karen, Jizzy and her neck and, and, and cankles, Robin lying on and taken up for what's his face, Juan, as he cut will cuss her out on the regular, Ashley and her creepy ass husband, them badass kids. And then her Muppet friends causing uh, problems for Candace. I could have stayed live without any of that. But the reality of dealing with somebody as real part hood, part angel of Monique and Samuels. I would have loved to see more of that. Not these contrived um, storylines for airtime. Nobody needed that. And that's it for this episode of Ten Fro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 
2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening. 